is the Employee Experience and Education Podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. In this podcast, we speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classroom. On this episode, we'll speak with Katie Nemchek, a former middle school and high school public education teacher who recently resigned. Today, Katie will share her expectations as a teacher with student discipline, why a mandate of planning with other teachers actually impeded her impact, and what can happen inside the mind of a teacher when school leaders don't actually listen. All right, Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about the conversation and to really hear your story as an educator, somebody that was passionate about education, passionate about helping kids, and then here you are about 11 years later, no longer sitting in the classroom. But before we get to that, do you mind just talking about yourself a little bit, personally, professionally, and then why did you decide to become an educator? Sure. So I grew up in Minnesota, which is where I live currently. I, I had a pretty good public education experience. Um, I would say it was really, it was good teachers that got me interested in education, which I would venture to guess is what a lot of teachers would say. I majored in English rather than education. Not 100% sure that I was going to be an English teacher and just thought, you know, that's a more versatile major, which it turns out that was the right decision for me since I'm no longer teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard from quite a few former educators on the podcast so far and heard their stories about what it was like for them to be an educator. Now, there are certainly some common threads that kept coming up, but I'm curious from your perspective, what was your teaching career like? What was it like to be a, a high school teacher in public education? Um, so one challenge right away for me was that, um, the recession was happening, uh, right after I graduated from college. So I graduated from undergrad in 2006, and then I graduated from my master's program in 2011. So the country was very much still recovering. Um, so when I moved back to Minnesota, most districts had hiring freezes. There were like no jobs. And then on top of it, we had a government shutdown uh, for months before that school year started. And I couldn't even get my license processed in Minnesota because I was, you know, I had done my program in New York. And so then you have to like get all of the paperwork and stuff processed in a different state. So, I mean, I was biting my nails that I would even get my license in time to start the school year. Um, which I did, but all of that is to say, um, it was a rocky start. And I think, again, that's probably pretty common for a lot of teachers, um, to jump around a lot at first, simply because they're just, you're a new teacher. You don't have the experience. You're sort of a risky hire, um, for more established districts. Um, so yeah, I took that job at a charter school. I mean, that was my only job offer. So I didn't really have a choice but to be gung-ho about it um and and it was oh that that was a really tough experience that first teaching job made me question having chosen to be a teacher I mean I I student taught in Harlem so you know I sort of felt like okay I can handle anything but what I didn't realize is how much good leadership matters it's easy to be in your classroom as a teacher and sort of think like you 
you are the one that makes all the choices. You are, you know, it's you and your students. You close your classroom door, you do your thing. Good leadership, a lot of times, that is how it works because you don't even necessarily notice that they're doing a good job um, because they've set you up to succeed. That had been my experience student teaching um, and working with cooperating teachers in New York City. And now suddenly I was on my own. I just felt like I had no support. Um, there were a lot of behavioral issues. Um, you know, it, it was an urban school. So, you know, a lot of poverty and a um, lot of, lot of behavior issues. And I'll say too, I mean, it was an all black school. And here I was, this white lady coming in and, and most of the teachers were white. And there's an extra obstacle in terms of earning those students' trust, which is completely valid on their part. Um, and what I didn't know coming into it was how much turnover they had already had with teachers. So I was teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I think. Yeah. And so those older kids, the kids that were in like eighth grade, they had already had so many teachers come and go before I got there. So their guard was up big time, which of course increased, you know, behavioral issues and stuff. And I had basic teacher management strategies, but I was a first year teacher. I was coming in all focused on like, I'm going to write such good lessons and these are the books I'm going to teach, right? And like, if you don't have the basic classroom management figured out, none of that other stuff matters because no learning is going to happen. And that's the situation I found myself in. Um, and what was really frustrating is, and, and I hadn't encountered this in student teaching, not that I never had students who had behavior issues, but it was never big enough that we had to like send anyone out of the classroom to the office even. It was always something that we could handle in the classroom. Some of the outbursts that these kids would have or just, or just they wouldn't stop talking, it, which sounds silly, but literally couldn't get them to just stop talking. Um, but sometimes it was much bigger than that. You know, I would sometimes the student didn't want to do something, was having a bad day that probably had very little to do with me and would just refuse and cuss me out and throw something. That's where you get to the point as a teacher, even more veteran teachers sometimes get to the point with those students where you do have to remove them from the classroom if for no other reason than to allow the student time to calm down. Because when a student is in that heightened fight or flight mode for whatever reason, they're not going to be able to let the rest of the class function. And if the teacher is the one having to take the time to deal with that, which could take the entire class period, none of the rest of the students are learning, right? Well, I quickly found out that if I sent a student to the office, you know, and, th and there was specifically, I don't think they called him a dean, but he, that's basically what he was. He was meant to deal with student behaviors, but that was for the whole school, which was elementary and middle at this charter school. He was totally overwhelmed. So the kid would get sent right back five minutes later, not calmer, still upset about whatever. It didn't do any good at all. And then the feedback that the feedback we would get was, well, if you were a better teacher, if you had better, you know, classroom management skills, you wouldn't need to send students out. And it's like, you know, there's some truth to that. I definitely feel like as I became a more experienced teacher, I did get better at dealing with that stuff in the classroom and not necessarily needing to send students out as much. But there are also situations where that's just the best strategy, safest even. Yeah. But their policy was 
their butts need to be in the seats. If their butts aren't in the seats, they're not learning. And it's like, but their butts being in the seat doesn't necessarily mean they are learning, especially if there's one kid having a total meltdown derailing the rest of the class. So yeah, it was such a frustrating experience. So it sounds like you were one of many new teachers that year that you began teaching. Was that a common experience for like the lack of support? So what I heard you say is leadership makes a big difference. And then you go in, there are behavior issues, behavior management problems. Didn't feel like there was much support. Did most teachers feel that way in your school? Yes, it was a small school. Um, Like I said, it was elementary and middle, but in terms of the actual um, classes in the middle school, there was only one section of sixth grade and one section of eighth grade, and then two sections of seventh. So I was teaching every student in that middle school, and so were the other teachers who taught. There, I was the only English teacher. There was one science teacher, one math teacher, and so on. Um, only one of the teachers, when I was hired, had been there the previous year. Um, she was through. She was with Teach for America, and so she was in her second year of that program. Um, And she didn't even plan to continue to be a teacher. She wanted to be a social worker. The other teachers were all new and everyone was having the exact same experience. And was it mostly behavior supports you were looking for? Was it curriculum supports, instructional supports? What other kinds of supports would have really helped you that first year? I I didn't realize it at the time how much I was being gaslighted. Um, Every time I brought up a concern, you know, we had two short preps the way that they had... um, periods broken up that day, uh, during the day at that school, we had two short preps. Um, I was supposed to be writing three different grade levels of curriculum from scratch. And they mandated that one of our two preps had to be a collaboration with the other teachers, but none of the other teachers taught English. So in terms of curriculum writing, that was not helpful to me. Yes, down the road, once I felt like I had my curriculum, you know, set, having that collaborative time, certainly, um, you know, to talk about this student seems to be struggling or, or whatever. Um, but especially if there aren't any other English teachers to work with on writing curriculum, then all you're doing is taking away half of my time for prepping for what I'm going to teach. So, you know, I... And being a first year teacher, I didn't feel like I could say that. So that, you know, that was something I just kind of bit my tongue about and and would cut corners where I could. So that, yeah, that was, and then just really unrealistic sort of um, dictates from the leadership too. Like they told me at the beginning of the year, the eighth graders need to write a 10 page research essay by the end of the year. That's where you need to get them to, which I hadn't met the students and seen where they were academically yet. So I'm like, okay, that seems like a lot for eighth grade, but okay. And then I I start to get to know these kids. They can't even write a paragraph. And you're just arbitrarily telling me that they have to write a 10 page research paper by the end of the year. Like, where is the meet the students where they are, you know, pedagogy. Um, And it it was a lot of arbitrary stuff like that. Um, They had a policy too, that students were not allowed to talk in the hallway between classes. And the teachers were supposed to be the enforcers of that, that they were only allowed to talk when they were in the classroom. And this was supposed to be something about like conserving their social and intellectual energy for the classroom or something. But all it did was then when they got to the classroom, they wanted to gossip and catch up with each other because they're middle schoolers, of course they do. And it and it created this very adversarial uh, 
dynamic between the teachers and the students that was the exact opposite of what I needed in terms of earning their trust. Because I was supposed to be like shushing them in the hallway and like, you know, you're not supposed to be talking right now, which I thought was insane to begin with. And then it makes me the bad guy when I'm trying to build relationships, which is so foundational to being an effective teacher. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So so part of part of part of feeling supported is that there's empowerment, that there's autonomy, being able to make decisions that you feel like are in the best interest of your students, such as a 10 page essay, maybe not being the most appropriate. That's a great lofty goal. But maybe from a day to day basis, like let's work on some of the more foundational things that these kids are needing. So I'm guessing you didn't feel autonomous. You didn't feel like you were empowered. You felt like you had to follow the rules that you you called arbitrary these mandates that you had to follow, which I'm sure from an employee experience perspective means you didn't look forward to going to work or you felt so contained. Oh, I had a pit in my stomach every morning before I went to work. I felt like I felt like I was going to throw up every day. And I, I wasn't, my husband and I weren't married at the time, but we were living together. And he was like, "This is, I don't think this is how this is supposed to be. Like, I know you're a first year teacher, but you are miserable. And yeah, I don't know. I just, and I remember my, so there was like an executive director of the whole school. And then there was also a principal under her of the middle school and then a principal of the elementary school. And I remember talking to the principal of the middle school about how I was feeling. They both gaslit me the whole time. So I remember talking about my concerns and I just like, I'm totally overwhelmed. I don't feel like I'm actually teaching them anything. And she showed me this graph. I don't know if you're familiar with this graph of like the experience of first year teachers. Like it starts out really high with excitement and then it's like, oh my gosh, reality. And it plummets. And then it starts to kind of come back up as you're starting to kind of get your sea legs. And and then it's supposed to be like, and then you're hopeful and looking forward to the next school year. And she showed me that graph. and. I think she was trying to validate how I was feeling, but all it did was basically say like, yeah, that's just a normal experience for a first year teacher. So your concerns are silly, as opposed to actually listening to what I was struggling with. <laughs> and that was kind of the point when I realized this isn't going to work. I left before the end of the year. I didn't even make it to Halloween, which because it was a charter school, um, and I don't know if this is true in every state, but in Minnesota, charter schools are right to work, meaning you can't be in a union, which obviously has disadvantages. But the advantage for me was part of the contract was I only had to give two weeks notice. There was nothing that said I had to finish the school year. And likewise, they could let me go in the middle of the school year, which they would never have done because they couldn't find someone to replace me after I left even. I felt horrible not even making it to the end of the school year. I felt like I was abandoning those kids. I, you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching to decide to leave. And I, I spoke to my cooperating teacher from New York actually about it. Um, and she taught in a charter school, uh, very similar, you know, demographics in terms of the, the race and the socioeconomic status of students. And she said, I, I don't think you should stay. She said that sounds that situation sounds unsustainable. And if you stay, you're not going to want to be a teacher anymore by the end of the school year. And that's the worst thing that could happen. So, yeah, that was really hard. Um, I ended up leaving and then I 
found a long-term subposition for the rest of that school year. And then I had a long-term subposition for the full next school year in a, in a separate district. Um, so the jumping around thing um, is, is really hard because you're starting over in every new district. You're starting over in terms of your curriculum, in terms of you know understanding the culture and how things work in that school, in that district. So that part was really hard. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read some writing that you had about the toxic culture of education. And I think you're spot on with this idea. So the way that you define it, and it's the culture of education is weird. I've experienced it myself. There's kind of this perfectionism that runs rampant in education. And that is, we would joke, my teachers would joke. So I live in Noblesville. There's a, a city close to us called Carmel. They would say, I'm going to wear my, I'm a Carmel teacher shirt over in Carmel because they don't feel like they're a Noblesville employee anymore. So there's this idea of when I'm out in public, I have to be the professional one grocery store, restaurant, wherever it is. So I think teachers suffer from kind of a hero paradox. And what I mean by that is a teacher is supposed to be the one with the answers, the one that guides their students to achieve success, the hero all the time. What that prevents, though, is vulnerability. That prevents somebody from asking, hey, I, I need some help. What else can I do? I remember, so after I left administration, I was talking to a principal that was new and I was trying to build her up and I said, hey, I, I can't I can't wait to hear about all the great things you're doing. What I didn't realize was I prevented her from reaching out to me if there was a problem, if she was struggling because of the hero paradox, which is I built her up to be the one that's able to do this no matter what happens. If you struggle, how do you reach out to somebody after that? So what what have you noticed with educators with this? martyrdom, hero paradox, whatever it is, how, how have you seen that play out? I think the type of person that teaching tends to attract in the first place has a lot to do with it. People don't go into teaching expecting to get rich or, you know, have a bunch of notoriety. It's not a, it's not a glory filled profession, right? But there, there is this idea, like you said, of I can make a difference. I want to help kids. I want to feel good about what I contribute to society, to the world. And I can do that through teaching. So already you've got people with that mindset, people who are going to give 150% anyway. And then when you have leadership, who makes them feel like what you're saying, like they're not allowed to, to struggle or come to leadership with problems because it's perceived as complaining or as criticism that, yeah, we're just supposed to be the tough guys and we're just supposed to be, you know, robots, you know, just smiling kind of like, like a Stepford wife, but, but for teachers, right? That, yeah, that that's like, I mean, every teacher will tell you that they have a persona, right? Like you, you aren't, you don't just go in front of your class and be who you are at home and with your best friends and with your, your family, right? You develop a teacher persona. And I think so much of that ends up being that sort of, um, I'm the strong one. I can always handle it. I have all the answers, not only so that students feel that way towards their teachers, which part of that is is important, right? I mean, students need to feel safe with their teachers. They need to feel like their teachers know what they're talking about, right? 
but when it gets to a point of perfectionism, like what you're saying, right? Like a teacher is never supposed to not have the answer. Um, and, and they're not supposed to be vulnerable, right? I remember at that charter school job, I, I distinctly remember the executive director being like, whatever you do, do not cry in front of the students, which was like terrifying because I hadn't even started teaching yet. And I was like, what? But then once I started teaching and like did cry every day, but was like holding it together during the day and then falling apart once the school day was over. And it was like, on the one hand, I understand, like you don't want a teacher who's like too personal and vulnerable in front of students, but then students and parents and, and members of society in general are, are buying into this idea that teachers are not human beings, that we don't have fears and vulnerabilities and concerns and families to take care of and mental health to, to consider that we're not full people who exist outside the classroom. And like what you said, you know, like, yeah, if I go to the grocery store and see, you know, someone I know from school, I have to still be the teacher. I have to still live up to that, that persona. And it's, it's exhausting. So part of this podcast is truly understanding what's like in education, specifically from a teacher's perspective. Um, and this comes from speaking with educators like you that have lived it day in and day out. So the other part is then to provide school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies that they can, they can implement in their own buildings, right? So one of my core beliefs is the world becomes a better place when great teachers choose to stay great teachers. The only way that great teachers choose to stay great teachers is if they have an employee experience that's positive, that builds them up, that doesn't tear them down, that doesn't make them exhausted and want to cry every day like you're talking about. So as you think about your own teaching career, what, what if anything, could have elongated your stay in education as a teacher? I heard you talking about leadership at the very beginning. Leadership is a critical component, sets the tone and tenor for the building. Is there anything you think, based on what you've seen, what you experienced, that would have led you to stay in the classroom for longer? I always am careful to stress to people that obviously COVID has made things a lot more complicated and difficult, but it didn't create most of these issues, right? These, these issues have been there, they've been exacerbated, um, and for some teachers, they've been the proverbial straw that has broken their back. But it's not like teaching was all rainbows and butterflies before the COVID pandemic, you know? Um, one big frustration I've experienced in terms of school leadership is this sort of, and you and I were talking about this before we um, started today, this sort of, the, the idea that the employee experience doesn't really matter. Teachers are just like, they they can roll with the punches and, and they're fine. What really all that matters is students and parents, which of course students matter. Like like you said before, schools can't exist without students. That's that's why they exist. But it's it's gotten to the point in a lot of places, especially, so the bulk of my career, I taught in a predominantly white middle-class um, suburb, outer suburb of the Twin Cities, so many entitled parents uh, defending student behavior that was just not okay. And it felt like things were being operated in sort of a consumer um, business model, which I don't think is how public education is supposed to work. It's it's not supposed to be 
treating parents and students as customers, right? Because then the teacher becomes a salesperson, right? And we're just supposed to say yes and give in and do whatever a parent demands and excuse any kind of student behavior, no matter how inappropriate it is. And that's not only not realistic and sustainable in terms of teachers, you know, mental health, it's so degrading to us as professionals, as experts. You know, one thing I have talked about a lot is, you know, as an English teacher, I would catch students plagiarizing. And it, it, it's a huge problem in academia, not just in high school, in college. More and more throughout, like it became more and more common the longer I taught for students to just lie to my face about it. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know how that happened when it's like, you know, we have very sophisticated software that shows like what you have written matches exactly with another student's essay or with, you know, a website or whatever. And, and they just do this deer in headlights, I don't know. And then you go to the, the parent and the parent sides with the kid and is mad at the teacher for holding the student accountable. And then depending on the admin, of course, some admin will then kowtow to the parents. I had several experiences like that and it was so upsetting because th there was this attitude on the part of the parents that I wanted to catch kids cheating or that I was like making it up for like for, for jollies, I guess. I don't like, and what they didn't understand is that was my least favorite part of being a teacher. I wish I could have looked the other way, but it ethically I couldn't because that's what teachers are supposed to do. We're supposed to prepare our students for the real world. If I look the other way when a student is cheating, what message am I sending? But then you get put in this position where the parent is is just refusing to see, you know, logic or the reality of the situation. And if you don't have a supportive administration that's going to say, I understand that that's how you feel. And this is still going to be the consequence. The teacher just gets thrown under the bus. Yeah, because from a from an administrator perspective, it's much easier in the moment decide with the parent because the problem's finished. Well, what's not finished is the trust that the teacher places in you as the administrator. What's not finished is the sense of belonging that the teacher has within the school community because they know, at, and you've just taught the teacher that if there were to be a problem, the teacher's perspective isn't as important as the parent's. So yes, right now it's a fix, a temporary fix, but if we're looking at teacher shortages like we are right now, you want your teachers to stay in the classroom. They'll only do that when they feel valued, when they hear, feel heard and supported. That's not happening when you're siding with parents in this specific use case. Right. And that's not to say every teacher is always right and there are never, you know, students and parents that have a valid, you know, side to the story, of course. It just feels like a lot of times leadership is much more concerned with, like you said, the easiest answer in the short term and also with their image you know, that, that it has felt more and more like leaders are acting more like politicians. They're not really fulfilling the role of leader uh, in, in the true sense of the word, because when you're going to throw your employees under the bus to maintain your own image of, you know, I say yes to parents and I, you know, do whatever the community or whoever's loudest in the community wants me to. And, you know, from a certain perspective, especially like a school board member who knows 
so you have to get reelected next time. I understand that perspective, but what about the people that you're, you know, the employees that you're supposed to be, like they're stakeholders too. The employees are stakeholders too. And it doesn't feel like they get listened to. So what, what advice do you have for teachers feeling similar to how you did? One possible suggestion is, hey, find something else to do. What other than that, how, how can teachers maybe advocate for themselves? What what's in the power of the teacher to maybe try to improve improve their own employee experience? That's a great question. Um, if I had an answer to that question, I would probably still be teaching. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's what drove me out was was the last two years in particular. Um, again, not that those issues weren't there already, but just feeling more and more ignored, more and more stonewalled so much buck passing. I would go to my administrator. I remember a conversation last year. Um, my district didn't have a mask mandate all last year. Um, and my children were too young at the time to get vaccinated, as was the case for a lot of teachers. And I remember, you know, we were hearing this teacher is out with COVID. We would hear it through the grapevine. There would be no official communication. Oh, now that teacher is out with COVID no official communication, students being gone at much higher rates than is normal. And we're not, we just didn't feel like we were getting the information to keep us safe. And then, you know, potentially bringing it home to our families. And I remember one day just being at my limit and I, and I went to the office and my principal's door was opening and I was like, can I talk to you for a minute? Shut the door, sat down. So I sat there in my mask and just started sobbing and just poured my heart out about how scared I was that I was going to, you know, bring COVID home to my kids and they can't get vaccinated yet. And they both have heart conditions. And I was like, I feel so powerless. I don't know what to do. And he was very compassionate, but he also basically said, I have no power. It was this sort of like, I get it. I understand why you're upset and frustrated, but the school board makes those decisions and I don't see the school board changing course anytime soon. So this is the situation. Just a total abdication of any power that he had in the situation. And I, I basically told him at the end of that meeting, I don't feel like at this point I have any power except to leave. I don't know how else to have control in this situation. And he basically very nicely said, I understand and you have to do what's best for your family, which basically felt like, yeah, we'll miss you. But, you know, and so, so that, and then, so he's saying the school board has all the power. Then I'm going to the, the district website and using their little submission form of, you know, we want to hear from you, the school board's website. And I, I'm submitting and other teachers I'm friends with are submitting, we're concerned you know, about this and we're concerned about that and, and no one is getting a response. I emailed the superintendent so many times personally as did other teachers, no response. That is the most disempowering feeling in the world. Why would anyone want to stay in a district where they feel that unvalued? Sure. So an extension to the last question, which was, what would you recommend to teachers? What would you recommend to school leaders? What's one 
action strategy that you would want school leaders to take away from this conversation to make a great employee experience in their school? Listen, listen to your teachers, seek out their perspectives, have structures in place because not every teacher, first of all, is going to feel comfortable coming to the supervisor one-on-one. Our principal last year, that was his first year. He, he had been the assistant principal before that, but that was his first year as principal. I don't, a lot of people didn't feel like they knew him especially well. I was so desperate at that point that I didn't really care. That was sort of my last ditch effort. Know that you need to have other ways for people to communicate their concerns, maybe even anonymously, so that at least you're getting the information. I actually typed up a quote by Colin Powell, and I saw it a few weeks ago, and it's just been stuck in my head. Um, He said, leadership is about solving problems. The day the soldiers stop coming to you with their problems, they either believe that you cannot help them, or they've concluded that you do not care. Either way, it is a failure of leadership. And that, oh my gosh, that just sums up everything I've felt, especially over the last couple of years. Yeah. And what's so sad to me is this is all, it's all things that are controllable. This, I mean, the parent part of our conversation is less controllable, but how we respond, we solicit input from teachers, we listen to them, we communicate with them. Those are all strategies. Those are all things that school leaders have control over, but for whatever reason are not exercising their ability to do those things, which is causing teacher attrition, teacher retention rates are very low, teacher satisfaction rates are very low. And what I keep hearing over and over, I mentioned this at the beginning, I hear lots of common threads from teachers that I'm talking to. The common threads are leadership. And then the the extension of that would be, one, I'm being asked to do too much. I'm not appreciated, not valued, and I'm not listened to. And those are all things that school leaders can do. You can go say, tell your people, thank you very much for being you. Thank you for being a wonderful teacher. I noticed when you, it's the same things we do in the classroom as teachers. We build up our students. We listen to them. We develop relationships with them. We don't ignore what they, sometimes you ignore behavior because it's an inappropriate behavior. But if a kid comes up to you with a genuine concern, you don't say, sorry, there's nothing you can do about it. You listen, you engage in conversation. You don't say stop complaining, which is what it feels like is the response a lot of times from leadership is they might not say that explicitly, but implicitly it feels like that's how they interpret any concern you raise, any frustration is you're just complaining. And and I don't know if I was reading too much into it in that meeting with my principal last year, but a part of me felt like I could hear him thinking, oh, good, if she leaves, I won't have to hear her complain anymore, you know, get her emails uh, about, you know, concerns or whatever. And it's like, yep, because you essentially drove me away. Is that really your long-term goal? Is that your strategy? Yeah. So what, what's one celebration you have? Let's turn this around a little bit. What's one, what's one good thing happening in your life right now? I'm in a band again. I feel like I finally have the time and, and mental energy to do something fun and something that feeds my soul outside of, you know, making a living. And if people want to get a hold of you at the end of this podcast, what's the best way of them doing that? I know you're active on LinkedIn quite a bit right now. Yes, um, I'm on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. (laughs) Um, Instagram and TikTok in particular are are where my former students are. Um, 
so that uh, you know lets me still be able to see them and what they're up to and a bunch of them have found me on instagram and started following me so that's been really cool um so yeah i'm i'm on all the socials <laughs> yeah and i'll include links in the show notes here as well so katie thanks so much for sharing your story today thanks for sharing your time it was great to connect with you um, and look forward to hearing from more educators like you sharing their own stories so we can help improve the employee experience in education. Thank you so much, Eric. Thanks for the opportunity. Our goal at the end of every episode is to have the student and the guest live say thank you to or tell a story about a teacher who has made an impact on them. Today we have Delaney saying thank you to our guest, Ms. Nemchek. Hello, my name is Delaney and I would love to give a big thank you to my former teacher, Miss Nimchek, for everything she did for me and my fellow classmates. So I'm a freshman in college now, and Miss Nimchek was my ninth grade pre-AP English teacher. Um, I had just transferred school, so I didn't know what to expect, but she probably remains my most impactful teacher to date. I just remember being blown away by how incredibly smart and aware and receptive she was. She showed me how to connect literature with relevant large-scale issues that I cared about, and this excited me so much. Specifically, I remember raving to my mom after one of the first days in class when she played Flawless by Beyonce for us while we were reading one of our texts through an academic lens. <laughs> she just made me feel so empowered in a way that I never had in an academic setting. She put so much time into making each class and reading mean something and interpreting each student's input in their best intentions. She was basically a genius superwoman to my friends and me. So, Ms. Nimchek, thank you so much for showing me how every corner of the world is connected and important and how reading and writing and learning can lead me to being the curious change maker I always dreamed of being. Thank you for the kind message, Delaney. And thank you to Ms. Nemchek for making students feel empowered and for being a genius superwoman. If you haven't yet today, go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience and Education Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day.